Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do anything, can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show he will show him even greater things that, than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one, one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from another, one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do you think I will accuse you before the Father? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hope set, hopes are set. 
If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Thank you. Let's think about um, the passage for us today and think about uh, what our, our responsibility is under God to respond in faith. So let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for this time we share uh, together now as your people. We thank you that um, you change hearts and we pray that you'd uh, continue uh, to work in our hearts today as well. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was younger, so much younger than I am today, I, um, I was a bit puzzled actually um, about the number of ideas out there in the world about knowing God. And my curiosity sort of led me, led me on a journey. Uh, I went to school just up the hill here at Port Macquarie Public and made friends with somebody who I thought was probably a, a Christian guy in about year five and six. And then I continued to be friends with uh, this person into high school years. I ended up going to um, one of his, his church camps up in Billington in the, in the mountains area there. And we had some flood rain and my tent flooded. But that's just a bit of colour for the story. Anyway, this guy who I, I thought was a, f a Christian guy, he turned out to be from a group called the Christadelphians. Now, if you know anything about the Christadelphians, they have a more liberal view of the Bible and they've got a bit more in common with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so my friend and I were, were looking at, at what were the differences in our beliefs? How did, how did he think about, um, if you like, being a Christian differently to what I did? And so we spent time reading the Bible together and, uh, and talking about Jesus. And, and sometimes teenagers have sleepovers at each other's places and they sit up and, you know, play games and, I don't know, look at cat videos today, I guess, on YouTube. But we didn't do that back then. So we sort of uh, sat up and uh, we read the Bible together and uh, stayed up late comparing different passages. And one night uh, over on the North Shore... Uh, we were looking at this passage from John's Gospel and it became uh, an important moment because we couldn't dodge what it was saying about Jesus uh, and we couldn't, we couldn't avoid the implications for our lives and the impact that this would have on how we, we thought about living um, as, as Christians. And so today um, we're going to turn and think about this passage and and what it emphasises about Jesus uh, and how we should be honouring him. That's where we're going today. We note that uh, as we start off today, there's always a context, isn't there? And the context is really what's come before us from last week. If you were here, uh, you might recall that Jesus had just healed a man who'd been an invalid or crippled for 38 years. But now he's, he's under scrutiny. He's under scrutiny by some of the Jews uh, for things that are fairly trivial. Uh, he healed a man on the Sabbath and furthermore he, he asked him to pick up his mat and walk again on the Sabbath. Shock horror. Can you believe it? Uh, the nerve of Jesus. Who did he think he was healing somebody on the Sabbath like this? Well, Jesus for his part reminded the Jews who opposed him that he just does what God does. And of course that just added to another layer of tension and conflict 
as they drew the conclusion in verse 18 that he was even calling God his own father and thus making himself equal with God. They understood the claims that he was making, but they didn't accept those claims. And so the tension is really beginning to build and it sets the tone for today's passage. And the topic of who Jesus was is also really brought to the fore today. And so that's what we'll, we'll be looking at in that Bible reading that Ravinda gave to us today. And the first thing we see in point number one of your outline, if you're following the outline, is that there is, this passage speaks about the unity of the Father and the Son in verses 19 to 23. In verse 19, Jesus does what his Father does. He doesn't act independently. He's not a renegade. He doesn't do things of his own volition. He's not out of step with God the Father. In verse 20, we see that there's a common bond or a solidarity with the Father doing, uh, Jesus is doing what the Father does. In verse 28, he's saying, don't, don't be, uh, sorry, not verse 28, uh, verse 20, he says, The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Now, we're seeing this solidarity between uh, Jesus and God, but what is it that they're engaged in doing together? Well, what are the greater things than, than these that he's referring to? If we look back, we can see that great things have been happening, miraculous things. Uh, someone who's been crippled 38 years has just been healed. And even before that, an official son who has a serious fever at that time or was close to death, he was healed as well. These are great things. They're a taste of salvation. But what are the greater things to go, come? Well, it might be a hint that there is greater things because there is going to be judgment, but also the giving of eternal life at the end. In verses 21 and 22, we again see the unity of the Father and the Son. This is in the topic of judgment. Both the Father and the Son raise the dead and give life, and the Father entrusts all judgment to the Son. Jesus, according to verse 19, does whatever the Father does, and so his judgment is just. But we're given a reason why the Father also entrusts judgment to the Son in verse 23. And it says that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Now people need to accept that Jesus has the authority of God to judge and that honour therefore is due to him. And all this language about a Son doing what his Father does or uh, doing nothing by himself, it seems to be Jesus' way of capturing, uh, communicating the deep thoughts about his unity with God, things which are hard for us to fathom, how uh, God who comes into the flesh could communicate these ideas to us. He seems to be picking up almost on this world of the apprenticeship where a, father does, a son does what his father does. Jesus was known as the carpenter's son, he was also known as the carpenter. And so this language might have been used to... to um, it's like when you talk to a little kid and you want to explain some, some things to a little kid. You don't use ideas that are too high and technical. You come down to their level. And so maybe Jesus is using this language which they could appreciate about a, an apprenticeship-type 
arrangement of the unity between the Father and the Son. Well, here we see that God is complex, but Father and Son are unified together in their mission uh, to save. And what we note is that if people are going to bring honour to God, well, that's going to involve bringing honour to the Son. And so, as we look at verse 23 that says, "...that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father, and he who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him." Uh, this is something which my Christadelphian friend found pretty hard to handle. I think he realised that he didn't honour the Son just as he honoured the Father. He thought of Jesus as just a creation, maybe the first creation, but certainly not God come in the flesh. He didn't accept the conclusion that's in verse 18 there, that by calling God his own Father, he was making himself equal with God. And it's understandable, isn't it, that people don't accept that uh, Jesus was divine, that he was come in the flesh. Apart from the Spirit of God, people working uh, in their life, it's understandable that they, they would find that very hard to accept, that high view of who Jesus is. In fact, we see this um, in the Gospel of John later on too, don't we? Uh, there was a disciple who found it hard to accept uh, who Jesus was and the fact that he'd been risen. In John chapter 20, Thomas says, Unless I seal the nail marks in his hands and put my hand where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And hopefully we'll get to uh, John chapter 20 in due course in this, in this series in John. Uh, but suffice to say, when Thomas met the resurrected Jesus, in verse 28, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't contempt condemn Thomas for idolatry he commended him for that that faith and then he spoke to people who will come later uh, those who didn't see people a bit like us and said blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed and so in some we're encouraged to draw the same conclusion about Jesus that Thomas draws that he is both Lord and God we're called to honour the Son just as we honour the Father. And if we don't honour the Son, we don't honour the Father who sent him. Well, my, my friend found that teaching hard to handle. But the challenge for us is to receive God's word to us today and accept that this is, this is what it teaches us about Jesus. And so we see that we, we need to honour the Son just as we honour the Father as well. The second point is that uh, Jesus judges and gives life. That's something that we learn about the Son. In this section, Jesus expands on the fact that he gives life to whomever he's pleased to give it. And we start to find out about some of those people who do receive life. In verse 24, it's those who hear Jesus' words and believe him who sent him, namely God. They're the ones who have eternal life. And Jesus describes their situation as those who've crossed over from death to life. That's a, a present reality. This language of crossing from death to life, it's really talking about spiritual death, being condemned by God, facing, uh, as John 3.36 talks about, facing the wrath of God, uh, because God is holy, we're sinful. And yet, Jesus comes to lay down his life for our sins, so that we 
we'd be right with God and forgiven. And of course, uh, Jesus is anticipating that when people do that, there is a, a spiritual life where they're crossing over from death to life even now. But it also anticipates life, he also anticipates life to come at the end in verses 25 to 30. Uh, in 25 to 27, Jesus is the one who will give life or condemn because he is, has the authority of one called the Son of Man to do so. Now, when we read about the Son of Man, we're casting our minds back to the Old Testament and in particular to Daniel 7 where someone has been given divine authority to judge the nations. And Daniel 12 is also anticipated where in Daniel 12 there's a time when those who are sleeping in the dust of the earth will rise and they'll either rise to be condemned or rise to life with God. And so Jesus refers to that time in verse 28. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. And so Jesus speaks about that time at the end of that resurrection time. But how do we understand this verse, uh, those who've done good will rise to live? Some might like to interpret that as a merit-based way of getting saved. If you do enough good things, then you'll rise to, to live. Um, but that's not really how uh, getting right with God is understood in John's Gospel. In John chapter 3, it's those who live by the truth. They are the ones who come into the light. And we're told, so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. The idea here is that people are saved and then they go on to live good lives, if you like, lives that are honouring to God. And so the order is God's work in bringing salvation and then good is done in response to that. In other words, if people have done good, it's because of God, what God's done first in their lives to bring them salvation. And the judgment that Jesus executes is just. Uh, in verse 30, Jesus notes that when he judges, he seeks not only to please himself, but to please the one who sent him, namely God the Father. And so as we think about all these references to judgment and condemnation, uh, these things can be daunting thoughts for us, can't they? It can be disturbing to think about standing before a holy God and having to give an account for our lives at that judgment day and the reason it can be daunting to think about a time of of judgment and what that day will be like is because we know ourselves we know our, our own lives and people get get anxious about this they they realize that they they've fallen short they've done things that they're embarrassed about or feel ashamed of and each of us uh, we know in our own hearts where we've gone astray I was actually reading a, a book, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird book, it was about um, how to deal with psychopaths or bullies in the workplace. Um, and in that book, uh, th one of the things that it notes is that some of these people feel about death, they don't feel very good about it because they feel like sometime in death things are going to catch up with them and it's quite uh, disconcerting for the bullies as they think about death. 
But I must say, it's not just for the bullies, though, is it? Uh, for people who have, you know, had a career out of demolishing people. Um, it's, it's for each one of us that we... This is not just a case of negative thinking, is it? It's, it's just a reality. We know that we're imperfect people and that all of us uh, fall short of the glory of God in many different ways. And so apart from Jesus being our saviour, uh, facing God in judgment, that prospect is quite horrific if you think about it long enough. But today we see that uh, we're offered some assurance from Jesus of life in the face of death and judgment. For in verse 24 we remember that the one who hears his words <coughs> and believes the one who sent him, namely God, is the one who has assurance of eternal life. Even now, even in the present, they can be assured that they've crossed over from death to life. And that's a comfort to us. It's a comfort when we can think about our lives, even as, as Christian people, uh, where we're still dogged by sin in this, in this fallen world. And we can be tempted, perhaps even, to doubt our salvation. And so it's good for us to dwell on these deep truths in the Word, uh, even when life's feeling upside down, when, we, we, when we're discouraged in a fallen world and we look forward to going to be with the Lord, it's a relief to know that we're not going to be on the wrong side of the Lord when it comes to Judgment Day. And so it's a, it's a comfort as we think about going to be with the Lord. But you might be a person who hasn't yet come to that point in life where uh, you have a living faith in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, where you haven't yet asked God to forgive you for your sins and, and you might still be anxious about that judgment day. Well, God's word offers us hope and the promise in God's word today is that if we hear Jesus' words and believe in the Lord, uh, exercise a living faith in him, then we can be sure that we, we are forgiven and we've crossed over from death to life. And so while there's life, there's hope. If you have your faith in Jesus, uh, you won't be put to shame. Well, the third thing that this passage also teaches us about is how it's hard for some people to come to Jesus for life. That's point three in the outline there. Coming to Jesus for life is hard for some people. In verses 31 to 47, Jesus speaks about witness or testimony to himself. These words are still being directed at the Jews who've been critical of Jesus. They thought he was in error in healing on the Sabbath. And they felt his claims were too much about his association with God the Father. And in, sec in this section, in verse 31, he speaks about his own testimony and, and says it's not, it's not valid. Verse 31 says, If I testify, testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. Now how are we to understand that? Well Jesus knows his testimony is valid so maybe he's saying those people don't accept it or he could be saying that his testimony alone, just one person testifying is not valid, you need two or three witnesses. Either way, he goes and notes that there are others who testify. 
In verse 32, he notes that there's another who testifies, and from the context, he seems to be hinting that it's God who also testifies. And this comes up again in verse 37. The Father who sent me has testified concerning me. And at this point, that could be a reference to when God the Father speaks during Jesus' baptism and says, this is my son whom I love. Uh, that, that account is not recorded in John's Gospel, but it's recorded in the other Gospels. But tracking back now to verse 33 to 35, Jesus points out to his opponents that John the Baptist also testified about himself. And that accords well with what's written at the start of this Gospel in chapter 1, 6 to 9, where we read that John came as a witness to the light. And so John testifies about Jesus as well. From verses 36 to 40, Jesus notes that God testifies and the scriptures testify about him as well. In 36, he says, The very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And so we take it that the, the miraculous signs that Jesus has done and then later his suffering as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the work that the Father's given him to finish. These things testify that he's been sent by God. But Jesus notes also that the written word testifies to him as well. The scriptures bear witness to him. And this is an important little section here in verse 39. I'll read it out. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In a way, Jesus is telling these um, people who it's their job to be quite diligent about teaching the scriptures and knowing them, he's sort of saying, you know, you've missed the wood for the trees. Uh, you know, it's, it's plain as the nose on your face that Jesus is the one who is the fulfilment of the scriptures, but they... They seem to be uh, deaf to what Jesus has got to say. They don't listen very well to him. And they seem to be blind to the things that Jesus is doing, which indicate that he is God's coming king. Jesus is the fulfilment of what the scriptures teach. This accords well with what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. He says, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. It's all leading to Jesus. But the Jews in this section don't seem to believe Jesus or the other testimonies about him. In fact, Jesus talks a, a bit in verses 41 to 45 about what's more important to them. They, they don't have any time for Jesus, but they've got time for each other. They accept praise from each other. Furthermore, we're told that they accept those who come in their own name. This might be some... Uh, would-be messiahs. Jesus points out the reason they don't accept him is because they don't really believe what the Bible teaches. They don't really believe Moses. And he could be referring to when Moses talked about the prophet who was to come. Either way, these, this language of them not having any time for Jesus or accepting him accords well again with John chapter 1, verse 11 that says, "'He came to that which was his own,' but his own did not receive him. Coming to Jesus for life was very hard for them. And one of the problems was that they didn't see Jesus as the fulfilment of what the Bible actually taught. 
But whilst we can see that uh, this is their errors or their blunders, uh, we need to see very clearly uh, that he is the fulfilment of what the Bible teaches. We've got the Bible, we've got Old Testament, New Testament. We can see that it starts at a creation and it ends at a new creation. We can see that we get to that new creation by the redemption that comes through Jesus. That he redeems the fallen world, he redeems people like us from sin and death to take us into God's kingdom at the end. Jesus completes the Old Testament hopes of someone who would bring in the reign of God. He completes those hopes for a Messiah to come. And the New Testament affirms that Jesus is both the Messiah, the, the King, uh, and that he's also the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. And so we understand that the scriptures lead us to Christ. That's where we stand. But some might criticise uh, people like me and, and possibly some people like you in saying that we're just Bible orators. We worship the Bible. We don't have any experience of God, but instead we just like to read our Bibles. Now, I suppose it's true that some people could, um, could worship their Bibles. Uh, some people could be keen to study the scriptures very diligently and yet they could fail to love Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And I think there are people in theological colleges like that where they, they study it and they're, they're good with their Greek and their Hebrew, um, but some of them aren't even Christians. They don't, they don't actually have a living trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. They don't have a a real experience of life with God, even though they're good with their Bibles. And that's really a mistake. That's the mistake that the Jews made in Jesus' time. But as we study the Scriptures, we accept them as God's written Word, carried down by the Holy Spirit. God's Word is um, breathed out by God. It's, it's inspired. Men wrote from God as they ca were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We accept that the, the Scriptures are from God, they're his written word, but they testify about Jesus. And so we're called to heed what they say and come to a living faith in Jesus for life. Our knowledge of God's word points us to Jesus in whom we put our trust and as we do, we experience a new and living relationship with God. Not because we're worshipping the Bible, but because we worship who the Bible speaks about, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. So as we study God's word, let us not make the mistake that the Jews made in that passage. Uh, they missed the key to the scriptures. Let us remember that the scriptures supremely testify to Jesus and we come to him for life. Well, I'm going to wrap this sermon up now, friends. Uh, there's three main take-home messages here. Firstly, honouring God involves honouring the Son. We honour the God who is there, and God is complex. Some things in life are complex, and God is complex. He's re revealed in a unity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today's text really focused on that unity of the Father and the Son. And unless we honour the Son, just as we honour the Father, we don't honour the Father who sent him. So we've got to have a very high view of who Jesus is and honour him as God. Secondly, we t saw today that there's assurance of salvation that's offered to those who believe in Jesus' words, hear Jesus' words, 
and exercise faith in the one who sent him. The promise is there that if you do that, then you've crossed from death to life. There's an assurance that you don't have to be terrified about the prospect of judgment day and facing a holy God uh, with our sin. Uh, we know that on that day we have a saviour that we're united to, Jesus has, who's overcome on our behalf. And so we've got assurance of salvation. And finally, we've seen that Jesus is the key to the scriptures. Uh, we're not called to be Bible alters, those who just like to read our Bibles and worship the Bible somehow. That's just ridiculous. Uh, God's word, the written word, leads us to Jesus, the living word. And so we've got to maintain uh, our faith in him. It's a genuine living faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, whom we worship. And we worship Jesus as Thomas the disciple did and called him our Lord and our God. That's where we'll stand. Now I just want to wrap up this sermon though by um, drawing back to my friend, the, the Christadelphian mate, because I don't want to leave you hanging. Um, so I've stayed in touch with him over the years. He's a really nice guy. Um, and the last contact I've had with him, he's, he's going to church somewhere. I don't know how great the church is, but uh, he's going to church somewhere. And uh, we're still in conversation uh, about the divinity of Jesus, uh, whom is revealed as God come in the flesh. And so, um, yeah, over time, you might even ask me, and well, uh, under God, you never know. He might have, he might have made some progress, um, and we can pray that, yeah, that he will in the future. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, um, we give you thanks for your word. Um, we thank you for Jesus, that he, uh, he has made you known to us. And we pray that you'd help us uh, to honour you as we honour him. Lord, we thank you for the assurance of salvation that we have uh, by having faith in Jesus as our, our Lord and Saviour, uh, the one who um, takes our sin, bears that in our place. Uh, and that he rose again and, and gives us life with you. Lord, we thank you that uh, through trust in him, we've crossed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. And we thank you for that assurance, even now as we live, and that we don't have to worry about the terror of facing you on Judgment Day because he's our saviour. And Lord, we give you thanks for the scriptures. We thank you that uh, Jesus is the key to them, that they, they point to Jesus and the redemption that he's brought uh, for us and your whole creation. Lord, help us to be among those who continue to uh, honour the Son just as we honour you. And we thank you for this time. We've had to think about these things now and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.